1: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai,
2: there's joy in every journey.
1: Hi,
3: I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're gonna talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like
1: we're also going to jam some tunes have a drink and share some honest opinions thanks for listening to the talking metal podcast let's get things started this is the sean baker orchestra with which way to radio land
3: that music right there of course the great Sean Baker with the Sean Baker Orchestra which way to radio land is that song and uh, Sean has just been so cool to us here at Talking Metal through the years letting us play that song over and over and over and over again and I never ever get sick of it Sean it's so good as are all your other songs so definitely uh, go on Spotify go to iTunes check out the Sean Baker Orchestra for great instrument instrumental hard rock Mo- mostly instrumental there's there's some um actually on that last record there was some vocals so yeah there you go and we are back with another episode of the talking metal podcast big john hart the security guard for iron maiden and kissed and prince and did some work of billy idol he is with us today so stay tuned for that uh, man, it's so cool because my two favorite bands are probably Iron Maiden and Kiss, and this is the this is the guy who, who watched over those guys. He was in the Behind the Iron Curtain video. Remember that? I nice used to have it on VHS. And uh, actually, you know, no, that's wrong. I had it on Betamax, man. Remember Betamax? Beta or VHS? What? Well, which were you? Which were you back in the day? Were you a Beta or VHS? Anyways, uh, yeah, we were Beta. Beta Max, which was a highly Superior quality. But because of some corporate greed and, and uh, whatnot, VHS held out. That was that was what they decided to go with and, and market more aggressively than the Betamax, hence ha- causing the Betamax to de- de- definitely fold long before the VHS tape did. But anyways, yeah. I don't know how I got off on that. But behind the Iron Curtain was an Iron Maiden little uh, video thing that was released on 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 Betamax and VHS and it it featured the band behind the Iron Curtain touring the communist uh, section of of Europe and it was great and Big John Hart was in that. He closed I think he closed the uh, the video He said, "No more and the door shuts. Yeah, good stuff. But he's also known for being in People Magazine with Kiss, and you know all that type of stuff. A National Enquirer covering Gene Simmons' face and whatnot. He is the the man, and I just wanted to apologize because John, I told you, Big John Hart. I told you that that John o- Ostrowski, aka Astronomy, would be co-hosting this episode. We tried to make it work. Uh, we couldn't sync our schedules up, and I don't want to wait any longer. So um I'm rushing this up right now. I'm recording this on Monday. We'll have this up on Tuesday. And the interview with John was done last week, I believe. I'm trying to remember. Was it the week before? No. I think it was I think it was last week. No, it was the week before. It was done probably going on 2 weeks ago at this point. So, yeah, we got to get this up and support Big John Hart and his his book that he is writing with the Pledge Music of uh, pledge pledge on pledge music that's what i did and and just uh, check out his sites we're gonna have all the links up to everything that he's got on social media and the fundraising and the website and all that that'll be up on talkingmetal.com talkingrock.net so go check that out and let's check out a new cover version of dr love by kiss Right here on Talking Metal, this is Dan Lorenzo cranking it out here doing the classic Kiss song, Dr. Love. Former Overkill drummer on that, Ron Lipnicki, played on all those great Overkill records over the course of the last, wow, I think like two decades, right? Wow. So Ron Lipnicki, one of my favorite drummers, so good. I saw him at the Ace Fraley Show recently in Anglewood Cliffs, along with Dan and those two guys. Uh, it's always good to reconnect with them. So um, that's their song, and you know, go to danlorenzo.net for more. So that's that, yeah. And now, without further ado, let's get into my interview with legendary bodyguard, Big John Hart, a little maiden to get us into this. This is The Trooper.
1: mark striegel of talking metal and on the line what an honor big john hart john how are you tonight
2: i'm good how are you thanks for having me oh uh, you bet it, it really is
1: just so cool to talk to you because for years and years we've been seeing your picture whether it's you know with the guys in iron maiden or, or covering paul stanley's face before he gets out of a limo and uh, you know so those are Honestly, my two favorite bands of all time. You know, Kiss was a band I discovered in my pre-teen years, and Maiden was the band of my teenage years, and you were the guy who was the uh, the protector of, of, of my idols. And I, I just wanted to talk to you about your amazing career and the book that you're writing about your life and, and your career. Why did you decide to write a book at, at this this point?
2: Well... Um, my friend and business partner, Steve Altman, he'd been asking me for years to, to write a book because we know we we've been friends now for oh, at least 30 years, and we did some work together with Iron Maiden, and that's how we became fast friends. But um, we'd sit around and you know you know had like friends do, so, drinking a beer and shooting the shit, right? And I bring up these stories and recollections of being on the road with various people. And he said, you need to write a book. And, you know, he had stuck on him, and he tried to get me to do this now for quite some time. And um, I finally had to relent after my last uh, uh, bout with my heart because I no longer had excuses. The excuses used to be, I'm working, I don't have time. He came up to me after my my, uh, open-heart surgery and said, well, now you have the time. You can't go to work anymore. Right. So it prompted me to do it. And, uh, you know, other people have said similar things to me about that. So I said, why not? You know, the, uh, the, the fans I know seem to be interested. And I mean, that's just a whole nother category for me. I, uh, I get it and I don't get it, uh, with the fans. And, uh, you know, it's quite humbling, it's quite flattering. But when it first started to happen, I genuinely didn't know how to react.
1: Right. Now, now when you say it, for, when it first started to happen with the fans, you're referring to just the fact that, that you yourself, as the, the bodyguard to celebrities, became a celebrity yourself to the fans? Is yeah. That it? yeah.
2: Uh, I'm sorry to explain that. Yeah, that's it. I remember even when I was working with the bands back in 1980 with Kiss in Australia, had people there, you know, uh, ask me for my autograph and I didn't know what to make of it. So it was like, wait a minute. And I was explaining right. to them, I'm not the band. I'm not, you know, I just work for them. Oh no, but we want your autograph too. It's okay, fine. It's, it's, yeah, but it, it's kind of, it, you feel awkward. Right. You don't know uh, their side of it or what they see. So it's kind of, you know, now I understand it more and I can appreciate it a whole lot more.
1: Absolutely. And you are doing this through Pledge Music or you're using Pledge Music to help raise some of the funds to to do this. And I just wanted to mention PledgeMusic.com slash Big John Hart. And that's Hart with an E-H-A-R-T-E. And you can go there and you can make a pledge. And I'm guessing there's different packages and stuff you can pledge for and, and receive different, uh, like, what do you call them? Like gifts and and bonuses for what you pledge.
2: Yeah. There's stuff on there, uh, for, you know, all price brackets. And yeah, I'd like for everybody to, to be as excited as I am about the book and participate if they can. And, um, you know, there's some really neat stuff on there too. I got uh you know, uh uh autograph thank yous from me, hand autograph, and um uh another one would be a thank you mentioned in the book, uh you know, their names. And cool. then uh you got uh the, the artwork is being done by um I can't think of his name now, my mind just blank. <laughs> Oh, Ken Kelly.
1: Oh, sure.
2: And uh so he, you know, there's gonna be some you know, the rough outlooks of the book he's gonna let let us have and put them on there and also of course the finished product as far as lithographs, and then the entire book uh artwork uh once it's completed will as well be up for sale.
1: Awesome. So the the actual artwork that, that Ken is going to do will will be something that someone can purchase. Absolutely. Wow. That's very cool. Of course, but Ken will be,
2: you know, on the lower end will be there'll be lithographs of that artwork. And also uh, in the beginning, as he's as he's, you know, roughing out the drawings and getting his ideas together, uh, that will also be made available. Some of them.
1: Wow, that that is very cool. And I wanted to mention right off the bat here that your website is bigjohnhart.com. You're on Facebook. You're on Twitter at Big John Hart. And, of course, Instagram. We're going to have all these linked through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com and talkingrock.net. And the book itself, John, what direction are you going to go with this book? I mean, we've, we get some of these rock books that are real juicy and and gossipy and others that are, you know, more, these are the facts, this is what happened. Do you have a, a style of, of writing you're going to go for with this?
2: You know, it'll be more along the, uh, the, that's the fact type situation. Right. I don't, uh, the salaciousness stuff, That's all been out there already. To me, that's old news. And I don't find it very exciting either way. The book will be based upon uh, my life how I got into business and things of that nature. Also, I've done a few of the, uh, kiss convention type things. Yes. And the, the question that I get asked the most is what was it like to be on the road with these people? So I'm going to try to answer that as best as I can and give you the, the idea of what was like, you know, the life that we led on the road And and it transitions from the time I started with Kiss through Iron Maiden and, of course, the other twos like Billy Idol and Prince, uh, things change because the times change. Technologies change. So all of that's included in there uh, as to how our days would be. You know, in 76, Kiss was working at least six shows a night. Or, I'm sorry, six shows a week, if not seven, if they could get it. So... We worked all the time. There was not much time for any kind of uh, sitting back and relaxing, and that was our that was our uh, schedule for many months. So you know to share that and what what actually I did other than stick my hand in a camera and things like that. Right,
1: right. So uh, I I know a lot has been been said about your time with Kiss. Uh, I know I saw you down at the uh, the Kiss. Expo down in Atlanta which was great but right now I wanted to kind of shift a little bit to your time with Iron Maiden. Can you talk about how you got involved with that band and when you got involved with that band?
2: Yeah, I I uh, had met them when I was working with Kit. They were an opening act in Europe for a while and um, they had approached me about working for them at that time and I said, no, i got a big commitment here. I'm not looking to change at all. And I said, okay, but if you change your mind, let us know. And then, you know, by 83, the KISS organization had changed a lot. And I was informed that there'll be no more full-time employment, that it'll be by the tour only. And uh, if there's side work available when, when they were home, you know, of course I would be asked, but it was nothing like I could bank on. I was married. I, uh, you know, had a house and things like that. So when you have commitments, you have to make sure you get a paycheck all the time. So um, I contacted Iron Maiden and asked them if they were still interested in me. They said yes. So I still had commitments to KISS, and I, you know, worked it out to when their tour was starting, Iron Maiden, that is, and when uh, KISS was going to be done. Originally, in 83, they were supposed to go to uh brazil and then some other dates in south america in may that didn't work out i got pushed back to june and it was only brazil so i had already firmed up with iron maiden that i would start with them at the start of their tour so i took uh kiss to brazil did the first week of press set up Maracanãs from the security angle and then the, the morning of that show I got on a plane and flew from uh, Rio to Casper, Wyoming, to join up with Iron Maiden. Wow! And
1: I guess the so so that would have been like 1980, I think, when when Maiden was opening for for Kiss. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. And there's this story that's been told by Paul Diano in his book, and also I believe by Iron Maiden in their official autobiography, where they talk about. Gene Simmons showing up at one of the Kiss shows they were they were opening for Kiss at wearing an Iron Maiden shirt, and they were all kind of impressed by that. Do you have any recollection, kind of a random question, but of Gene wearing an Iron Maiden shirt back in the, on that tour?
2: I don't recall <laughs> okay. that at all, and I would find that very well out of character. For really? Me.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cool. and now he may have expressed an interest in the band you know because he was always thinking about furthering his whole dollars empire there as far as you know picking up acts and things like that so he may have had an interest in the band for sure right as far as wearing iron maiden t-shirts i would find that out of character form but it's not unthinkable
1: right especially if he was trying to impress them and, and wanted to work yeah. with them or something
2: yeah but gene would just probably tell you that he wanted to talk
1: to him. Yeah, it's
3: just very genius. true. Very true.
2: <laughs> so,
1: with your when you were with Iron Maiden, I guess by the time you you joined up with them, you were saying '83. That was when Bruce Dickinson was well into the the band at that point. What was the uh, what was the vibe with Iron Maiden as opposed to Kiss? Was 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 it a m- more close knit band? Were they were they as open with you as maybe Kiss had been? What major differences and similarities did you see between the two bands?
2: Uh, similarities would be worth ethic, ethics. They wanted to play. They'd play everywhere, anywhere that they could. Uh, differences, they were a little more laid back, and of course, they didn't have the demands of no pictures. Right. Um, there was something else in my, in my head. Um, as far as camaraderie goes, They, in the beginning, KISS, you know, got along real well. These fellows seemed to as well. And they went through, obviously, changes. Uh, You know, uh, Paul Deanna was out and Clive was out. And uh, I met Bruce and Nico on that day when I arrived at Casper. So, uh, you know, personnel change, But uh, still, you know, there there was a lot of, of similarities as far as when I joined Iron Maiden. It was like when I started with KISS. They were on the rise. You know, they were working towards getting way up there, and uh, they succeeded. But um, as far as everything else, you know, there was, there was, there was differences as well because, you know, they, they were English. <laughs> getting, getting used to English humor takes some time, right? and you have to put your ear to it. Because I didn't understand them head times, but the first part of the tour, trying to master understanding what they were saying. Right on. And what about... The type mm-hmm.
1: of fans that would approach the band—I'm sure sometimes you would have to, you, you know, watch out or maybe even get between fans who were approaching these bands. W- were, was there a big difference between the Kiss fan and the Iron Maiden fan that you that you'd see?
2: I don't think so. They—they they all appeared to be, you know, very much into the band, especially those who would come up and approach them you know, or, or be waiting outside the hotel or at the backstage door area. You know, they, they were fans. They, 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 I don't think they really wanted to hurt anybody. They might get a little overzealous, but it, it wasn't a maligning thing. They weren't being vicious. You know, I just didn't see that. And the bands both, were very receptive to that. You know, uh, Iron Maiden more so than Kiss because of the constraints of the makeup and pictures. But when they could, they would go out and talk to people. When they felt comfortable, they would. If they were a makeup, definitely. Iron Maiden, I mean, they made my job easy wow. in, in, in certain instances because they, they were fan oriented. You know, from playing the smaller places throughout Europe, they got used to being in pubs and stuff with the fans. So it, it didn't put them off at all to be you know, in the middle of 20 or 30 people and talking Iron Maiden's business. And
1: right around that time, Iron Maiden had put out this record called The Number of the Beast. And they claimed it was, you know, more of a fictional account of maybe some sort of satanic devil worship seance but there was uh, certain religious groups and, and conservative groups that picked up on this as, as something that they did not like, and there were stories that there were protests at some of the concerts. Do you remember any of these protests happening when you were with the band, and did you ha- how, how did you get involved? Did you have to go push the protesters back? Was there anything like that that happened?
2: Uh, most of the time most of the time these people would you know set up on a street corner you know, either near or by the venue and they would, uh, we hand out, like with Kiss, they were handing out, uh, hand bills that said nights and Satan service. with Iron Maiden, it was the number of the beast. And, and you know they would usually have a, uh, a megaphone with them and they would try to convert all the heathens on their way to the show. Now, you know, how successful were they? I don't know. I did, uh, earlier on with Kiss, I felt the need to, uh, pay attention to those people a little bit more because uh, it was not too long uh, after the instance of uh, Iran and our people there that we realized that uh, people will do things in the name of religion and wow. not necessarily great things. So we used to have to uh, keep that sort of in our frontal lobe. But basically, I found them to be... Uh, You know, wayward shepherds trying to convert the flock.
1: Right. Right on. on. Now, you also worked with Billy Idol. And did did you work with Billy Idol? Did that come through the Bill of Coin Association?
2: Oddly enough, yes. Uh, I was home. I wasn't working for anyone at the time. I got a call from their office uh, that they needed somebody to go out to California and sort of be Billy's minder. He needed, he needed some direction. He was out there with Bill Coin. Bill Coin was going through a heavy period in his life. So Billy was basically floundering out there. He was supposed to be having meetings about a movie project and writing material for his upcoming album. Well, neither one of those things were getting done. And Billy had befriended uh, all the uh, worst people in L.A. that he could. Wow. You know, all the priors and the stuff that want to party on your dime and, you know... And there's all, there's that in every crowd, in every city though, but more so in LA, it's more prominent. So I went out there, and uh, basically my job description was to uh, convince him that he should come home, and you know read, you know pick up where he left off writing and so forth. So it took me about a month of working with him to uh, get him to feel comfortable about everything. And I convinced him that, you know, he'd probably be better off to go home because the, um, you know, you would spend less money, you're in more familiar surroundings, and uh, you can get down to work. And that's what we did. And then I thought I was going to be done, but they kept me on for the duration of the album. And when it was over, then I was finished.
1: Wow. Wow. And Prince is another just major name that you worked with. What, What year were you involved with Prince?
2: Uh, a 87, uh, for about three, four months, maybe, maybe five, uh, was the Love Sexy tour. Okay. I was hired to, uh, provide venue security because they were going to Europe and doing outside venues. And they really wanted somebody just to, to care for that situation, which I did. And I had experience with it. So then, uh, <clears throat> when we finished Europe, we come back to the States. They asked me to stay on. And again in the same capacity, and I did. And then uh, I took that all the way to when they were going to be leaving for Japan. Japan, I wasn't needed. I'd been to Japan a couple of times, but I knew that the, the Japanese—they have—they provide you with the national police department and a whole bunch of other things. So there wasn't no much room for me there. And plus, he had nine bodyguards of his own, one including his brother. So he was. You know, he was in good company. He wasn't. He wasn't right. at a loss for anything.
1: Yeah, I saw that that tour, Love, Sexy, in Philadelphia. That was a that was a great great night. Let's let's talk about the book. How far along are you with the writing process at this point?
2: Well, we're about halfway, I think. But then again, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 put a lot of things on paper. Uh, you know, I did a, a bunch of interviews. I have a writer. His name is Tony Mann, so he's helping me. Uh, get this together. So we got a bunch of stuff there. We've done some interviews with some of the people that I have worked with, uh, some of the people that I worked for, some of the opening acts, uh, some of those, some of those people, you know, just to get their input on, on me and, and uh, what they thought about the whole experience and, you know, different things that they encountered with me that uh, you probably wouldn't encounter with other people or on other tours. So I think it's going to be a good read. I think the fans are going to find it interesting. We've been putting together pictures from wherever I can find them, and my business partner Steve Altman can find them uh, that weren't released. Things, you know, there's there's a lot of photo shoots that went on with Kiss uh, and Iron Maiden that uh, you know the focus obviously is the band, but every now and then I wind up in a picture, so that is not used. So I'm looking to find them so that there's an array of of different looks for the fan to see.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. And was there training that was involved to be a bodyguard? Like, how do you become a bodyguard? I know it's probably a a long answer, but the short version, how how do you you become a bodyguard? I'll
2: try to shorten it up. In the early 70s, I was in a rock band like everybody else that was in my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I got a taste of the, the notoriety thing or the fun of it. And of course, you guys went decided to go to college, so we broke up that band. And I decided at that point that I wanted to work in the industry because I had a better shot at doing that than becoming a successful bandmate. So I, you know, I I started searching out ways to get involved. I was on a ticket line in '72 for an outdoor venue. Fella uh, hired me. There was a fight outside, and I was instrumental in breaking that up Okay. when so they approached me for a job. So I got to work security at that venue. They also had another venue in Passaic, New Jersey called the Capitol Theater. I started working there through the same people. And then from there, it blossomed out to well, what am I going to do? How am I going to find my niche? And I would work everything. I'd work as a stagehand. I learned how to run spotlights. I did some, some, uh, uh band work. Uh, you know, I worked for a uh, studio in Reynolds, New York. Learned how to, you know, different things about instruments and some lighting and, and, and sound. So I had a, a fairly well-rounded understanding of what's going on. And then the fellow who had hired me for uh, the security venue went to work for KISS. And he knew that I had expressed a desire to go on the road. And he, in turn, uh, called me uh, when KISS wanted to add to their personnel and that's how I wound up there. Wow. And from there, you just sort of... It, there was no training manuals. It was all new territory. Because we weren't strict security like uh, like for the president or or a congressman or, or even uh, the mayor. you guess the police department. We had to have a little flexibility. But yet, due to jobs or tasks that were put before us. So there was a learning curve about a lot of that stuff. There wasn't... When I started... In the industry, there was no such thing as a stick-on backstage pass. That wow. technology hadn't caught up to us then. I remember doing uh, shows at Madison Square Garden for the Dylan and Band tour in 1974, and we used uh, like like little tins for 74 in different colors. We had one color for each night, right? You wow. know, so all these things started to to be developed and come about find the best areas, the best things that are going to work. And of course, somebody got the idea of, of the uh, backstage pass. They had started using uh, just like paper handouts. We have, you know, the the, uh, the logo of the promoter on there or, or the building you're playing, and then there'd be a space to write in the act and the date. So that escalated into the sticky material once that was available. Then the band started taking over that responsibility, so you had more control Of who's getting access to your act while you're at the venue, and then of course the uh, the hard passes for touring personnel and things like that all developed along this time. And you know, part of my job was was I was involved in all of that. You know, I was the one who made every kiss pass. You know, every 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 hand, every every stick on, and every uh, hard pass was made by me. Very cool. Do you, do you hear much from
1: the guys in Kiss, from the, the original four members, Gene, Paul, I, Peter I Rhys? keep
2: in touch with them on a fairly regular basis, not a strict regular basis. Right. And yet, and the, they are going to be in the book, uh, some of them, and uh, Iron Maiden as well. You know, I keep in touch with a couple of them fellows. One of them lives down here not too far from me, and, uh, you know, we, I see them when they're in town. And because they're always all over the place, I am. Mean, they're never one place too long. Right, right. especially when they're not working, then they go even further. But right. uh, you know, uh, every now and then I'll get a phone call from from somebody like Steve Harris. You know, and we'll catch up a little bit, and uh, it's nice. You know, and, uh, Billy Idol not so much, and Prince. Well, of course. Uh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen,
1: unfortunately. Yeah. Well,
2: well, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, I
1: really encourage all the Talking Metal listeners to get involved with this book. And, I mean, you can really get involved. Like you said, you can even get a, a special thanks inside the book. There's all sorts of great perks, I guess you'd call them, that you can get. You can even have a, a sit-down coffee date with, with, with Big John Hart himself. There's all sorts of stuff. We're going to have it linked through today's show notes, on TalkingMetal.com, TalkingRock.net and I will definitely be heading over to the, uh, the Pledge Music page to, to make my own pledge for the book and I, I really appreciate the time you've spent with us here today and I can't wait for the book.
2: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the support you just mentioned and uh, we'll talk to you again in the not too distant future, I hope.
1: I hope so, John. Thank you very much.
0: I love you.
3: Sweet Pain by Kiss. One of my favorite Kiss songs right there. So good. Love it. Love Big John Hart. I want you guys to go support him. All right, that's probably going to do it for today's show. Remember to support me on Patreon. All the supporters there, get a T-shirt. And I did want to read, actually, a couple emails before I sign off here. Actually, first, you know what? Let's hear from this guy.
0: Hey, Mark. This is Jerry from Long Island. Jerry. Didn't go anywhere. Just let's remind the uh, listeners here that we got three nor'easters in ten days. I've been dealing with snow, wind, rain, floods, three different airport delays. Ran into Spike Lee at JFK. Crazy, crazy weather here. But I'm still here And the pre-Saxon show. is was this Saturday, St. Paddy's Day, the Coliseum on Long Island. And I want you to play Sniper from Saxon and Rising from Ruins from Judas Priest. It's going to be a killer fucking night. See you, Mark.
3: Jerry, thank you. And yeah, man, another snowstorm on the way, right? Wow, it's supposed to hit tomorrow, I guess. Anyways. Damn. Priest tonight for me, dude can't wait to see the great priest who i know you saw out in long island and i know you've requested two songs there let's uh you know what let's hit the saxon one and i'll try to get that priest one on for you in the future here we go Checking in, Jerry. Here's an email. Hey, Mark. I'm proud to support you on Patreon. For the t-shirt. I'm an extra large, and he gives us a dress out, which is in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. I'm proud to represent the show and get you some more listeners. Keep rocking. I hope to meet you at a show at some point. By the way, I'm GreyhoundDad on Instagram. I know that account well, love that account, uh, love love the dogs, and I really enjoy the posts that Emily puts up of your dog, my dog Ozzy, who is right here, um, old man Ozzy, almost 11 years old, I can't believe it, uh, but thanks, thanks man, thanks, and yeah, Emily is on Instagram at spacepony, so check her out, I can't remember if it's a dot or a dash, it's like either space dot pony or space dash pony. But, yeah, check her out on Instagram. Mike Jones sent that email. Mike, thank you for your support. And the T-shirt is on the way. I used to work in Lawrenceville and uh, lived in Pennington for a long time. Saw some great shows down in City Gardens. I don't know how long you've lived in Lawrenceville. Saw Paul Stanley down there, Bullet Boys Warrant. Who else? Danzig. Danzig. You know, the Ramones, so many great shows at City Gardens in Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey. And thank you for supporting us on Patreon, Mike. Uh, BJ sent me an email. Mark, I know it's a bit late, yet I'm a proud listener to your podcast, as is my 16-year-old son, Brody. Been a hard rock metal fan since... He was in his mama's womb at concerts. If you might have an extra medium shirt, he would wear it proudly with his concert shirts. He wears defiantly at Gould Ski Academy, where he attends school. That sounds awesome. I was just skiing this weekend up at Whiteface Mountain. Where Where is that Gould Ski Academy? That's cool. He goes to school for skiing. That's awesome, man. Um, I'm just... Just like as I'm sitting here, just seeing where that is located. I think you're up in Maine, right, BJ? So let's see, your son Brody goes to school. Yeah, in, in Maine, it looks like Bethel, Maine. That's that's very cool. And Brody, uh be safe when you're skiing. Man, I froze my butt off at Whiteface Mountain this past weekend. I, I almost thought I had frostbite in my hand. It was so numb. And then then I went inside and it was just like tingling and painful. It's all right now. So, anyways, uh, BJ continues with his with his email, hoping to get down to M three this spring, so Brody might be able to meet you. And he is such a rock fan, and looking to carry on the podcast tradition to the next generation. He was planning on starting a school radio station for his senior project, and some pecker took his idea and laughed ahead of him. Gur, attaching a few. Photos of my boy. Yeah, some great pictures here that you sent me, BJ, of you and Brody. Brody, uh, if you're listening, wow, that's uh, that's great. I'm so glad you love this style of music. I'm always so concerned younger, younger people aren't liking it, so it warms my heart to hear you're out there. If you guys do make it down to M3, we definitely got to say hello. Um, I'm think I'm going to be there for both days, definitely the second day, or hopefully the second day, uh, just trying to work everything out. It is a great festival, and it's going to be awesome this year with Queensryche and Ace Frehley and Loudness. I've never seen Loudness. I can't believe I've never seen one of my favorite bands, Loudness, and they're playing this year. They were supposed to play last year. They can't. They couldn't get into the country, though, so I'm hoping everything goes smooth with that this year great stuff bj thank you for your email and thank you for supporting me on patreon with that said let's wrap it up this is a little loudness with rock and roll gypsy produced by eddie kramer the famous engineer who of course worked with kiss Hendrix, zeppelin among so many others yeah eddie kramer does this one guys Yeah, this is Rock and Roll Gypsy.